So President Moon Jae-in will soon depart for his first trip to Pyongyang as leader of South Korea, using the direct flight route over the Yellow Sea for the trip. A major task ahead of breaking a stalemate over nuclear talks between Washington and Pyongyang and President Moon's third sight with his North Korean counterpart Kim Jong-un of this year alone. Well, remember, it's just five months ago the two shook hands crossing the border for the first time. Let's reflect further and look ahead with Andre Abrahamian, former executive director of Chosun Exchange and author of North Korea and Myanmar, Divergent Paths, recently also in North Korea for its celebration of its 70th anniversary of its founding day. Thank you very much for speaking with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And your book, published early this year, North Korea and Myanmar, that I just mentioned before, it compares the two states which share the common factor of being isolated, both continue to cause controversy today. Are there any other similarities? I think so. I think they're certainly Asia's two most militarized states. Uh, They both became over-reliant on China during their their periods of isolation uh, vis-a-vis the West. Um, Ultimately, however, though, Myanmar was able to find a way out of its isolation through taking care of this core strategic threat that it had had since its independence. North Korea is still trying to figure out how to deal with that strategic threat, which for the DPRK is the United States and South Korea. Would there be anything from Myanmar's very recent history that North Korea would either be encouraged by, uh, warned by, or otherwise interested in? I think they would have been paying close attention to just how long it takes to unravel a sanctions regime. Really, uh, it's been six years. That was the length of the process to to get rid of U.S. and EU sanctions. And even there's a lag between uh, when sanctions come off and when the private sector responds to, to the removal of sanctions. Perhaps more importantly, I think there's been some disappointment in Myanmar at the pace of investment. Uh, because ultimately, it's still a very difficult place to invest. Uh, there's a lot of corruption, a lot of opacity, uh, and it's it's a difficult environment. And so even if sanctions come up, you know, North Korea is going to have to grapple with those issues as well. A further factor there, though, is that Myanmar is still behaving badly by all accounts. When we look at the situation surrounding Rohingya Muslims and Rakhine State, would that tell us or North Korea anything? I'm I'm not sure. It, it might send a bad message in, in a way in that despite what's gone on in Rakhine State, and indeed in Myanmar there's a war in the north continuing as well, they're never really going to be placed under the same kind of sanctions regime that, that they faced earlier. I think we might see some members of the military sanctions, possibly even uh, a movement to get them in front of the, the International Criminal Court. Uh, but it's, it's unlikely that the country as a whole will face the kind of punishment that it once did. Other examples like Muammar Gaddafi and, and Libya have been put forward as a, a cautionary tale for North Korea not to give up nuclear weapons. Yet this is exactly where, where we're hoping the breakthrough will come in some preliminary way for this inter-Korean summit. How likely do you think it is that we'll see a breakthrough? 
Well, I mean, really, if you're thinking of denuclearization as a very long-term process, which is the right way to think about it, I believe, uh, the breakthrough we're talking about is going to be a short-term uh, breakthrough. So what will be the first steps, the entry point into the discussions, the negotiations about uh, a peace regime or peace treaty? Um, and in that sense, you know, I think Moon Jae-in has been very successful at ensuring this process stays on track. He built up a lot of political capital over the last year and a half, being both tough on North Korea, but also conciliatory, um, and also making sure that South Korea doesn't drift too far from the United States. So I think he's done a commendable job thus far, and we'll see if he can nudge both sides into, into a position where they're talking in the next couple of weeks. But you mentioned the United States there. How much of a problem is this U.S. administration Sometimes unpredictable, but all too predictable, it seems, when it comes to foreign policy issues like North Korea. We're going down the Twitter diplomacy track um, on a repeated basis, aren't we? Yeah, uh, well, that's, that's the big question. And the real instability in this process does flow from the White House. Um, it's clear that there are divisions in the administration, most notably between Trump himself and key advisors on what what should come next. And it also seems apparent that Pyongyang has recognized this split and is, and is keen to get Kim Jong-un back in a room with Donald Trump so that they can work things out directly and cut out some of those gatekeepers around the president of the U.S. Um, I think it's really important that something move in the near future, really in the next few weeks, uh, if North Korea and South Korea can agree on some kind of dramatic gesture with heavy symbolic and pragmatic weight behind it, then that will put pressure on the U.S. to keep the process going. Uh, if they don't, really, the, the state of politics in Washington is such that we don't, we don't know how things will look in, in two months or six months. And the instability there could, could really cause problems for the Korean peace process. But from a North Korean perspective, they may feel that under President Trump in the US, this is the best possible chance to achieve a break on sanctions and to make concessions that are not exactly uh, conventional, uh, wouldn't necessarily fit the rules of a very long process that you kind of referred to before. In other words, they might be able to come up with something that President Trump can celebrate as a victory, but but allow them to, to maintain their teeth. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. That's obviously what, what they would like to be able to pull off. Uh, I think the point I was trying to make, though, is that the, the window uh, in which to possibly make that happen could be smaller than everybody thinks because of that instability in Washington. If the, if the Democrats win big in the upcoming election, that will change the landscape. If uh, the special counsel, Robert Mueller, publishes a report that also strips President Trump of a lot of his support, possibly even leading to impeachment or, or something along those lines, who in Washington is going to pick up this process? Who has ownership of it other than President Trump? Uh, I think the answer is probably no one. And so if Trump's position is significantly weakened in the coming months, then, then I think that could really 
uh, grind this process to a halt. Well, you're expressing our fears, I'm sure, there. Um, mm. And can we also get some of your own personal insights while we're on the line with you? you you've mm. just gone to North Korea again. Do, do you notice any meaningful change? Uh, is it possible to judge when, when you're there for a big spectacle like a national celebration? Uh, meaningful change in terms of the effect of sanctions or... Well, in, in any of... possible way, actually. But, yeah, p- perhaps from an official perspective. But it, a- any insights you have would be valuable to those of us who don't get the chance to go to North Korea. Well, I, I think in the last several years, you've seen uh, economic improvement take place. Uh, Kim Jong-un has encouraged and indeed codified uh, rules that make it easier to start businesses and indeed force companies, state-owned enterprises, to operate on market principles. Um, that's created a lot more efficiencies and I think has made the economy more resilient. So these days people do complain about sanctions and they talk about how big companies, certain sectors have been affected badly, but they also say we're surviving because the price of ordinary goods, um, clothing, food, other daily necessities has remained stable. And so most people are still earning enough that, that they can they can survive. Um, in terms of attitudes about the, the current environment, the geopolitical environment, I think actually in Pyongyang, views are pretty similar to how they might be in other places. There was a lot of excitement in the new year and leading up to, I guess, summit season, we might call it. Um, people really hoping for a breakthrough and, and hoping for better economic opportunities and better integration with the world economy. And then maybe now a little bit of fatigue and cynicism creeping in. Um, perhaps the perception that so far everything between the Koreas has been just kind of a show and that with the U.S. things haven't really moved forward since Singapore. Well, we'll see how this week continues to change perceptions. No doubt if we get another big handshake moment between President Moon and Chairman Kim, uh, or a little surprise like when they crossed over the border together, we'll have another iconic image to feed some optimism. Thank you so much, Andre Abrahamian. Great to have you with us today. Yeah, thank you so much.